And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Plus minus. Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit. Plus minus. That is a word right there. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? Plus minus. Yeah, like, like you, Marcus Thompson. Marcus always tell the truth. Plus minus. The only thing that I would say to Ethan Strauss is that he's a pretty damn good reporter. Um, he's well plus minus. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Hello and welcome back to a trade deadline edition of the Warriors Plus Minus podcast. We've traded Marcus Thompson. He's coveted. He's coveted. He's very coveted. He's coveted, but we didn't get anything back, clearly. It's just <laughs> it's just Tim and Ethan. So we have a trade exception, a huge one. We might even reacquire him next week, potentially, but no Marcus this week. So close. He'll be he'll he'll be there. He'll be there next time. But we will motor on without him if we possibly can. Ethan will rise up his game like we know we know. He's oh no! Oh, I feel like Smiley right now. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh no! Foul! Foul! Hat foul! Oh foul. God! <laughs> made three. Come on, he made a three on the opening. Right off the start. So Kelly Uber is the name. I mean, we've detailed it for a few weeks now on the podcast. I've written plenty about it. Um, they're d- basically deciding on his future in the next, at this point, as we're talking 36 hours, it'll probably be a right around like 24 hours um, by the time people are listening. So you saw the quote last night from Steve Kerr. I mean, it was, I thought it was pretty honest. I kind of asked him pretty directly about it. And he, you've already referenced part of his quote by saying he's coveted. Uh, he, you know, he's, he mentioned Kubre's handled it. Well, we'll see what happens. You usually don't hear coaches particularly coaches who clearly have some front office power you know openly say that but that's steve right i mean we've seen it all this week if we really talk about it like he is he's an open speaker yes yes i think he doesn't want to get caught in the you know say something airy and general and sounds like they're not trading him and then they trade him and so i think that's what we get here and we know kerr is very aware of how things go out sometimes gets mad about them but again we're gonna talk about that later Oubre is in a sensitive situation, and I, I think Kerr is very aware of that. I think the Warriors are very aware of that, and they're listening, and they might be even making some of these calls. And if they can find a better fit, they're going to do it. They would have done it three weeks ago if it was there. This is, happens to be the deadline now where there's more activity. I don't think they're going to give them away. I really don't, and I don't see the need to give them away. They're already paying the money. But if there's a player that better fits and that has more, like, you know, a better sense that they can re-sign them. They, they can get a price tag on what that is. They can recoup that salary slot for something that fits maybe a little better or they know for sure they can plug in the next season's rotation. They'll do it. I don't know that that's out there for sure, but you're going to be looking looking around. It's better just you know for the sensibility of the locker room, for the sensibility of the team, is, you know, not to try to lie about it. That's the factor here. Steve doesn't like to lie, and he's in a job where sometimes – it's actually necessitated. It's a strange job. Sometimes you have to lie. Sometimes you're asked a question about how your player is performing and you have to soft pedal it. 
or you can't just say everything about whatever's going on. But he is, as Slater said, an open communicator. And I do think in this case, honesty is the best policy, even if it comes with a little bit of a, a little bit of a putting a, a shine or a spin. It seemed like he was trying to amp up Ubre's trade value while admitting it and while coming clean about it to say that he's coveted like that. So, yeah, I think that's a fine way to handle it. And I don't totally think that Ubre is the best fit for the Warriors long term, considering that they are adding more talent on the wing right now in, in the form of one Jordan Poole, it would seem. And he's going to need minutes when Clay comes back. They need that that rotation to be lengthened, and they don't want to give away the salary slot that essentially is ticketed for, you know, let's say their fifth best player next year, their sixth best player, a wing or a guard that they're going to need that, that can probably defend and score. And just, I mean, they need more versatility. Yes, Jordan Poole has had a great eight game stretch. Yes, I think we all consider him now very much in the picture for next season's rotation, but they need a versatile wing who you know can be in a closing lineup defensively who can give a little more you know the names tied to the uber trade talks victor oladipo bogdan bogdanovich aaron gordon who's to me more of an overlap of four that doesn't necessarily fit but is under contract next season like it's all in that range i don't think the emergence of jordan Poole should make them ignore the fact that championship teams have deep rotations they would need a defensive wing whether they keep Ubre, I mean, I think you just that—that's the story of the NBA right now. Is you need, you know, you need to be able to defend the other team's great wings, and that's what they had this season. In some, you know, extents, Ubre's not a great defender, but he's pretty good when he's really good on the ball defender. With Ubre and Wiggins, you know, we'll, we can talk about Wiggins <laughs> maybe a little bit later. That's an up and down thing. So if they move Ubre. I don't think they're going to get someone who plays defense like that on the wing. They're going to have to go get a couple more in the offseason if they're going to try to go win a championship. Because you don't know, one, if Clay's going to be there at the start, and two, even towards the middle of the end of next season, is he going to play that kind of defense? It's hard to expect him to, to deliver 100% of Clay Thompson. Two years removed from playing, two years older, coming off of two major legs injuries. So Ubre could be moved. He's not the perfect player. They can find replacements through the draft or through free agency next offseason, but I think they got to be a little careful here, and you just can't give them away. Just, oh, they got to get the slot, get the slot. They need someone who can play some defense for next season. And shoot, and do all, you know, we, we know that there's all different little areas, but you lose Ubre, you're going to be looking for someone who can do some similar things very quickly, and I always caution moments like that like if you if the first thing you got to do after trading uber is get another uber well maybe you got to think about keeping uber mm. well I, I think to be clear it would be better to keep him overall but i do think this is a franchise that isn't exactly swimming in money right now and nobody's going to admit to an economic consideration but i do think that there is an economic consideration to this well, luxury tax and all those things. Yeah, I mean, uh, but I don't think they're thinking so much about that. As a member of the organization said to me recently, next year they're going to make money. <laughs> you know, they, they know that money's there. I mean, they're not going to spend it ridiculously, but championships make money and they want to win another championship. They're signaling to the world right now that they're wanting to pay that slot. They, you know, sniffed around, kicked the tires on Bogdan Bogdanovich. That's $18 million for the next three seasons committed. He's on your books if you make that trade. Now, Atlanta, from what I've heard at this point, has just denied that trade. We'll see. I mean, as, you know, deadlines create decisions. And 
I think there's other avenues they're going on around, you know, they're looking at around the league. I'm I'm curious where the Victor Oladipo price lands. You guys are talking me into keeping Kelly. I went in thinking maybe you do a deal, and now by the end of this, I'm I'm sort of mulling it over. I'm considering it, and I'm. But as Slater points out, like if they even if they want to come off the money, the the move is to keep them, right? Because that's you just let them go. That's like you don't trade them to get off the money. You trade them to to, to add the slot to to try. You know, if it's for Lonzo Ball, which I don't think it, they can do that right now, but if it's for Lonzo Ball, you're gonna have to resign him. You, you know, he's a restricted free agent. There's there's money's it's gonna cost. I think the argument against keeping him would be this, is that he does not fit in offensively uh, with what they do. And he's been better. He's not running into Steph in the corner anymore. But when you have that combination of Draymond on the floor and with Oubre on the floor and Wiseman together, and it's in one of those funks that Oubre might have. I mean, he really came out of it. But, I mean, this is a situation where are you going to be comfortable going into a playoff series with Oubre knowing that he just might just not make anything? For two playoff series i think that would be the argument for well you got to do something maybe you have a different timeline right maybe you get young players in in exchange or a draft pick or i don't know i guess that would be the argument but the more we talk about it it just seems like the simplest don't mess it up path is to just to stay the course you do have an you do have a potential issue there though you know he is confident in himself I remember when he first got to the Warriors as an introductory press conference, he was like, I'm glad I'm playing with Hall of Famers because like, that's basically how I view myself, right? I want some of that to rub off on me. Like, I do not blame him at all. But to me, he seems like he believes he's like an ascending future all-star. And the Warriors in free agency will be, yes, offering him probably market value, I would assume. You know, let's say they decided, yeah, they're going to keep him around. They want to keep that slot for him. Let's say it's 18, 20 million, whatever. But let's say, you know, whoever, you know, there's plenty of cap space this summer from teams who don't have the wing depth that the Warriors do, don't have a Clay Thompson coming back, they might say, yeah, come here, we'll give you 35 minutes a night, a starting spot, and we're going to try to get you, basically, we're going to try to get you into the All-Star game. Maybe you're a second option, a third option. Now, I'm not sure. I I think he fits longer term, what we're talking about on the Warriors, like a kind of a winning wing component playing 25 minutes a night, but I'm not sure he believes that, and the reality is he's unrestricted. So you can have all these grand ideas, but if Kelly Oubre doesn't agree with those franchise ideas, he's gone. And he's gone for either nothing or, yes, you could do, you could maybe throw a second round pick to whoever's signing him, do a sign and trade, and you get a trade exception, kind of like Boston did with Gordon Hayward. And then you do, you know, you kick that salary slot a little bit down the road. Maybe you use it, but that's risky too. He really does seem like the kind of player who will come back to haunt you when he's on another team. He does seem like the kind of guy where if he's right, Mentally, he is just going to he he's going to be so much better than a lot of what we've seen. He's got a lot of teams he can do that to. By the way, he's been on a lot of teams already. I, I'm not saying that to belittle him, but there might be a reason why he's been on a lot of teams, and that might be a reason why the Warriors go. Huh, do we go four and eighty here? Uh, you know, uh, or which is going to cost a hundred and ninety with a luxury tax or even more. I think they played out, and one part of this that is really important that is unknowable. I don't think it lands at 20, by the way. Well, whatever personally. it is. Yeah, whatever it is. I'm just saying that, you know, whatever that number is. You know, they could possibly get a player like that in the draft if they have the Minnesota pick or if their pick falls into the top, say, 11. Like, we know how we've talked a million times about how deep this draft is. In guards, in defensive guards, I look through these, and like, you go to number 15, you go, this guy can really play defense, you know, but they don't know that. That's the problem. Like, it's unknowable whether they're going to, 
you know, either they're pretty, I think they're pretty sure they're going to keep their own pick because it's going to be top 20 protected. Well, their pick can be used right now. It's possible their pick is used in the coming days. Yeah, but the acquiring team doesn't know. You know, like it gets a little blurry if you don't know for sure. You just reverse protect it. And I think at this point, if you're an acquiring team in the way the Eastern Conference has, like the Eastern Conference now has a chunk, good chunk of teams now back over 500, I think you trust they're not going to be a top 10 record. But then, so you, if you're going to put Uber and the pick into a trade, what do you want? I mean, I want a lot if I'm doing that. I think that would be like a Bogdanovich, who you believe fits the system better, shoots it better, can play make, and you, you lock him in for, you know what I mean? Like, you, you already have him now under contract for three years. I understand the value there, though, is but you're lacking defense then. Like, who's going to guard Kyrie Irving? Bogdanovich's not a bad defender. I mean, is he guarding Kyrie Irving? No, not really. But then again, Clay got torn up by Kyrie Irving at you know peak of his physical powers. I mean, I'm just saying, like you can feel okay. This is the guy that Andrew he's, Wiggins. He's, yeah, Andrew Wiggins is not going to guard Kyrie Irving. You know, it just it well, he's going to guard him. Point. I don't know how well he's going to guard him. He's <laughs> guarding him probably. Uh, if you don't have <laughs> if you don't have Uber, yes. I just at some point it does come down to that. It comes down to like okay, we got the guys who can match up against the best guys. And who's guarding Dame Lillard? Who's guarding Mike Conley? Like, there just is a point where you just can't keep treading through guys who shoot the ball and not guys who can defend. That was how they won all the championships. They had guys who could do both. Again, I, I, I don't think Uber is great. I really don't. I've criticized him. The shooting comes and goes, and, and, it, and it was terrible the first 15, 20 games. But if you get rid of him... I don't know that Kent Bazemore is the guy you go into a playoff series next year saying, okay, he's got the main defensive assignment. That's him. I, I don't think you're doing that. I think you're saying Kent, Kent Bazemore can do it for six minutes, but I'm not doing, Kent Bazemore is not the guy who can do it for 22 minutes, 28 minutes, 32 minutes. He'll foul so out eventually. Yeah, I would, yeah, exactly. Get you, in the, get you in the bonus, and they're shooting free throws the whole time. Bazemore's been I just, bad lately. He has been awful lately. But So that's where I would just say when they reassemble this, they're going to want to have those kinds of players. Uber isn't the perfect version of that. There's no doubt. He's but he is a version of it that they don't have. You know that in a way that in a way that Damian Lee is in a way that my, you know all these guys they've gone through. Certainly Jordan Poole isn't. They, they need someone to go guard someone, and he's their second best, third best guy they got on the floor right now. It it, it they need more. Do you know how many fouls per thirty six minutes Bazemore is averaging as a guard? I know he was leading the, the like anyone else in per thirty six was a big man. So I know he was like the highest foul guy. I don't know where he's at at this point. Uh, Four point seven. So basically, at starters minutes, averaging five fouls a game as a guard. Yeah, I don't think that's I don't think that's a solution in a playoff series right there to to back up what Tim is he's saying. He's what he is. He's a guy you added on at the end who helps you out some games and hurts you other games, and you just can't you can't go. Bazemore's the guy. Uh, you hope you mix them in with the, with the right people. But if I'm the Warriors, I absolutely would be thinking about trading Oubre. There's no question I'd be thinking about it. But I would be leery about not getting a defensive-minded player back. I, I really would. Or having a path to a defensive player. Or have, Let know. me ask you guys about Aaron Gordon, who, to me, it's clear like Boston's the favorite at this point. A lot of other teams are in the mix. And he's valued enough and is under contract at like $16.4 million next season that the Warriors would very likely have to give up way more than anybody would feel comfortable giving up. You know, is that Ubre plus this season's reverse protective first rounder plus, you know, another first rounder. Not the Minnesota one, but yeah. Not the Minnesota one. Although if you're Orlando and, and you have all these teams 
you know, you're saying Minnesota gets you in the room, basically, probably. And so, yeah, the Warriors probably say no to that. But Gordon is a very multifaceted defender. Problem is, he's a kind of a like naturally a four in the modern NBA. And you have Draymond, you have Pascal, who got DMP last night. Maybe Pascal would be in the move. But. He's not a very disruptive defender, which is something that Zoe's made me and wonder. Ubre is. I don't know. There, there are guys who play good positional defense and help you, but. I think it's hard to be an elite defensive player or a really powerful defensive player if you're not getting steals, blocks, or both. I mean, that's just, that's typically my take on it. I don't know where you guys fall down on it. I haven't done a granular examination of how good Gordon is at defense, but if I look at a guy and he's not racking up, he's not racking up numbers in those categories and turning the opponents over in the way that Draymond, the peak Draymond does, uh, or other, I mean, Thibel, by the way, that guy, that guy is an amazing defensive player. I mean, lengthy, that was impressive. Lengthy. That was he was giving Jordan Poole for a sure. tremendous. He kind of reminds me a little bit of like pre-injury Robertson on the Thunder. Offensively, yeah, very similar offensively too. Yeah, that's what I mean. But <laughs> yeah. it's like there yeah. were ga- there were games when I was covering early Ro- Robertson. You know, and the Thunder were criticized. They took him like twenty sixth, and it was like, yeah, he's just like not offensively ready at all. And he was replacing Cephalosha, who had similar issues, couldn't shoot a three. So like it presented issues that obviously came to bite the Thunder. But there were games where he was like switching, you know, from different leading scores on teams, going from you know point guards to to bigger wings and he was just like so disruptive and you saw that last night with with dive on pool to the point if it philly's aggressive right now for guards you know i know they're in the lowry conversations and others i would be asking for thibel in those oh yeah discussions oh yeah Thibel reminds me of tony allen actually who's yeah. brought up in, in another conversation this week but uh oh yeah i'll just say aaron gordon he would be almost a perfect fit for the warriors as like a backup power forward but He's not going to be making that kind of salary, right? It just it doesn't fit in in the way this composition is. They could use an, a dynamic power forward. There's no question about that. They don't really have another one after Draymond. They don't have another power forward. Pascal, you know, I've been down on him all season. I just I like him as a player. It just doesn't fit with the Warriors with the with the Your dolphin kicking into the curb. Yeah, right? It just now. doesn't work. It doesn't fit, and they don't go to another power forward. It's it's just not really. You know, they go to the second unit now. It's it's like it's going to be Looney slash Wiseman, but Looney now in four wings, just because Pascal doesn't fit in that. So yes, could they use a dynamic four who can sometimes play next to Draymond because Gordon can shoot the three? Now it's like making almost two a game, forty percent, whatever it is, some career high this season. I think that would be a really good player for the Warriors, sixth seventh man. But you, you're not paying them that kind of money to be the sixth, seventh man. So that probably wouldn't work. If Ubre was Gordon, that'd be great for them. And they have to go acquire a defensive guard, but that's okay because you're lengthening your roster otherwise. But that's not how they, you know, it would cost them way more than that. And I can't see that. I, I, I appreciate what Aaron Gordon is, but only to a limit. It's like Wiggins. Like, he's drafted high. He does a lot of interesting things. You just can't count on to be a great player on a really good team. That's kind of how I feel about Gordon. He's probably even a little better than Wiggins, but it's very similar to me. Speaking of that team, I mean, is Jonathan Isaac available, uh, rehabbing yeah. and whatnot? Yeah, I know. I mean, Do you want that... to get another injured player, though, if you're the Warriors? <laughs> I mean, the way Aaron Gordon has asked for a trade out of there and Orlando's reshaping, it seems like they're ready to just clear the runway for Isaac to return and be a main cog for them. So probably not. And they'd, yeah, they'd want the Minnesota pick. or, or an, I mean, like that would be the start of the conversation. If you're worried, you can't do it. But 
Aaron Gordon is the one. I mean, Bogdanovich intrigues me, yeah, because there is a defensive element to that too. You can shoot the three, but I don't think that's quite enough to put the number one pick in the Warriors' own pick in there, just because I think this draft is so good. I think if you're the Warriors, you hope you get two really good players. You might get no picks given the conditions, but again, I think I've thrown this out before. Like, what if it's Kaminga and Kispert? All of a sudden, things look a lot different for that rotation, and you could work them in. They don't demand huge salaries. They don't demand the ball. I'm not saying they're gonna. I'm not saying they're gonna get both, but that you can look at this like that might be who 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 plugs in two other spots, and that's pretty good. Well, the problem is, and we're, we're learning. You know, this is another lesson this season watching James Wiseman because we all believe he has a chance to be very good, but he just rookies don't help. The idea of Kaminga sounds great, and like. 23-year-old Jonathan Kamenga may be awesome, and he would certainly be an unbelievable trade piece at any point if you're you know, taking a big swing. But I'm not ready to pencil Jonathan Kamenga in for a 20-minute-per-night playoff rotation yet. Just, I'm not ready to, to pencil any rookie in at this point. The way, And I think the Warriors have to calculate that in with what they've seen with Wiseman this season. I agree. Well, although wings tend tend to be a little, you know, faster and that. Who knows with Kamenga or Jalen Green, whoever other names that we're going to throw out there. But... You're not taking, like, say you get him fourth, you're not going to play him zero minutes. You're not. So, you know, you're, play, you're playing him some minutes. And so that like, there's some role that he's going to have in, on, on, on if you have these players. on next For sure. Time. I just mean more like you're thinking, well, you might not need Ubre because you're going to have the, it's like, they're worse if they just don't have Ubre and he just walked in free agency and they got nothing. So that's the big question over the next however many hours. Like, do they believe there's a better alternative to make next season's team better? That's really the question, right? Like, what will make next season's team best? And, you know, and they don't want to give away this season either. Now, that's a secondary factor. But you think Joe Lacob doesn't want a, a playoff game at Chase Center this season? He absolutely does, and maybe with fans in it. Secondary factor. I understand when people suggest they could give up Looney just to get out of the tax or lower the tax bill. But then who do they have to play center? That is still part of the thinking here is they're not given away now we'll see what happens how long if Steph is out for even longer that might really change the 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 dynamics here but let's say he's coming back in three games right like if they you know go one and two in those games and they're still looking like they're going to be eight nine they're still going to want a playoff game I mean Joe Lacob wants a game at Chase Center he he wants you know that thing's been open for a while now and they're not having a meaningful game there of any playoff significance that's not going to be disregarded in this is my opinion yeah and they should have fans by then let me ask you guys about one more trade target you know i mentioned oladipo but also i want to what do you think about spencer dinwiddie who is has a torn acl it's kind of like ethan mentioned with the isaac situation if you traded for him he's coming in and not playing at all but you have his rights and you know obviously that would be something behind the scenes you would be wanting to basically work out an extension uh, with him pre-trade but you could pitch it to the Nets very easily of like look put Kelly Oubre in your playoff rotation he'll help you know he, he'd he help the Nets right now as we talk about an overlap with Poole there is somewhat of an overlap with Poole I like Dinwiddie as a player a lot but I take this Poole thing seriously I just do I might be wrong I don't know you know I do Ethan <laughs> I know you do I know you do but I mean, he he had a rough shooting night. I think, uh, as we were saying, Thibel gave him the business. But even in that night against the Sixers and that awesome defense, big team, big imposing team, even without Embiid, you could even see the talent right there. And 
I just don't want, I don't want anything that's going to block that particular development, or at least a shot at that particular development. I almost wonder if in trying to be cautious about it and not get caught up in small sample size, we're underselling the degree to which this has the potential to change everything about this situation. I've always liked Dinwiddie. I, I just like that he can score in multiple ways. He's really heady. He, we know he's a smart guy, but the Jordan Poole thing does change it. So if you have Jordan Poole and a draft pick, again, I'm not. I'm going to be Slater cautious here. I'm not putting the draft pick right into the. But you're going to play him, and he's, there's another likely going to be a wing out there with minutes, and and you have Bazemore, right? Or I mean, yeah, I think they have Bazemore still. This is going to be you know a factor. You're going to have to kind of sort it out. Dinwiddie would play for me anytime. It's just exactly how that figures, and he's not a defensive-minded player, certainly. Then you start getting into some issues. Then you start getting into, okay, like we're going to just try to outscore everybody then, and that's not how you win playoff games. So I would be shaking. And I'll tell you, you mentioned Oladipo. We might have talked about him before. I am down on I mean, have you seen him playing recently? It's not good. It's not good. And I know it's coming, coming off an injury, but... He's going to want how much now? He's going to want he's turned down 20 million a year, 22 million a year. Yeah, he, he turned want, down a big extension from Houston. Yeah, he's he going to want 20. Yeah, he's going to want 25, you know. A player of that talent, it's almost a complete red flag if he's available at all. You know, it's like it it, it just shows you that that's a scary bet to lose if you go for Oladipo. And he's not young either. I mean, like you think of him as like 24, he's like 27, 28, I think. He might even be 29. He's 28. I mean, but yeah, like he had a re- he just had a really really bad injury. And if you're the Warriors with Clay coming back, like, again, I will like I don't think they can accumulate a bunch of injured guys uh, who they're hoping are okay because then we like we've seen this season it just backs up that roster where you are, you know, you don't have a 15 man roster, you have a 13 man roster, and that's tr- that's tricky. You know, we've seen it when they were in their dynasty years, like that back end got a little like they're trying to sort that out even going into playoffs and you. That was for 15 guys. You don't want to have 13. Who knows when Clay is going to be back, certainly back full tilt. I would be leery of Oladipo for sure. Dinwiddie, other, other than I really like his game. Okay, I lied. I have one more name I want to drop on you guys. Pascal Siakam's having some issues in Toronto. So I saw that. I went, hmm, if you're the Warriors, you go, hmm. He was benched earlier this season for a disciplinary reason. He's obviously had some, some early season struggles. He seemed to kind of bust out of that a little. He got fined the other day for an argument with Nick Nurse. I believe like 50000 maybe. He is probably, I would say, not playing up to his contract right now. He's, I think he's making around like 31-ish million. He's basically on Wiggins' contract the next like three, four seasons. So I'm not sure that's part of like the Ubre conversation. That might be more of like a Wiggins plus. Pick. Yeah, Wiggins plus picks. Wiggins plus thing. Minnesota pick. Plus, you know what I like? That's when the Minnesota pick comes into the conversation. He's interesting. For sure. We've seen him at his best on the big stage. He had a couple really nice finals games against the Warriors and some bad ones too. But he's also not having that great of a season, and he's on huge money the next four years. I mean, you just have to do due diligence. I mean, the devil is in the details. I want to know what the hell is going on right there because I think Nurse is a great coach, should be putting him in the right spots. So why? What's happening behind the scenes? And this is part of the NBA that you don't hear a lot about, which is they do the reconnaissance. They have their people who might be close to that situation. And that might not be a satisfying answer, but my response is I'm very intrigued, but I would like to know more about what the hell happened with Siakam. <laughs> and, you know, and they have a little bit of position squeeze there with Draymond at the four and Pascal, you know, Siakam's a natural four, 
but I think you could play them together. I think you could find ways to play them together. You know, Siakam is a you know massive is talent. He, is he He's enough exactly, for you guys to talk Minnesota pick? I'd talk about it. You know, again, I'd have to get Ethan's reconnaissance on this, but uh, I talk We're about Ethan it. to Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> get hey, that, Nick. Get, get that passport Tampa, ready. actually. My bad. My bad. Tampa. Yeah. Tampa, Tampa. That's Tampa. right. Get oh, doesn't, even doesn't need the better. passport. Uh, he, you know, he's young. He's like, I mean, like he could be a bridge. He's, he's, you're right. He's basically Wiggins, but better. You would have to move the Wiggins salary, so you're not talking about a massive add of salary there because it has to be for Wiggins almost. So I'd be very interested in that one. I would be very interested in that one. Who knows? Obviously, again, like Ethan said, if there's a player of that quality and it's certainly of that age, it's potentially hitting the market. You have to ask some questions. This is why Wiggins has got, gotten traded, right? This is why D'Angelo Russell keeps getting traded. You have to sometimes you got to look at that and say there are reasons these guys keep getting moved. But that kind of talent, that kind of size, man, he is he is a lot of the things that the Warriors need, no question. He's a lot of things that everybody needs. If I'm the Celtics, and again, Toronto probably wouldn't play, trade him to the Celtics, but that's perfect for them. That would be ideal for the Celtics. We'll have to see what what's going on there, but yeah, when that name when that fine came up and all those issues, man, that that is a rare player who gets traded. We talk about like guys who get traded often. This would be for maybe an entirely different reason. And if you're the Warriors, you make a call. I think you, you definitely make a call. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right. It's been a newsy week around the Warriors beyond, you know, obviously just like trade deadline rumblings. I want to start with still stay on the court before we move off of it. Wiseman's now the starting center for the rest of the season. 
they've been wanting to make this move. I was given an indication it was likely going to happen right after the break. I do think the missed test, missed practice, benching kind of stalled that for a little bit. And then I was thinking it was actually going to happen in Houston. And then he enters contact tracing and missed another week. And he comes right back from contact tracing, and they put him right in the starting lineup. And that's just now what it is. I think, what did he play last night? Like 26 minutes, something like that. That will be him moving forward. I think it's the correct move. No question. They've been wanting to do it. Now, I think Kerr's been off and on with it, and it reflects in starting him right away in the first game of the season after no training camp, and then pull him out after. I mean, like there's been backs and forth. You understand it. He's an up-and-down player. The organization, let's put it that way, has wanted him to get as many minutes as possible. And if you can with Curry and Draymond if, if, and Wiggins, although he has terrible minutes with the Wiggins, but sometimes you have to go through that. And the way to do it is to, to start him. It's just it gets him those first six minutes done of every half. There's 12 right there. And then you, you work out the rest. If you don't start him, then you're cu- talking about, you know, differing minutes, segments here. And if you play him there, can you play him to start the second? Can you play him to start the fourth? I think it, it just makes sense. Get him out there. You're not winning the championship. See what rhythm he can build with Steph and Draymond and Wiggins and Oubre, if Oubre's still around. Just make sure that he's on the court figuring stuff out. And we've seen him figure stuff out. Now he goes backwards sometimes too, but we've seen him grow and learn. He threw a nice assist last night. Like There are things that you can see him develop on the court that they need to continue, and that's in the starting lineup. Even if you start off poorly every time in a game with, with James Wiseman, which might happen, I think you just suck it up and you go, this is what's better for the team, period. And it might have dividends as early as next season. So there you go. That's what this is about. Ethan, what did you think of him last night? started out very shaky. It seemed to be a big factor in why they fell down big, and it made me wonder if they truly have the stomach for the choice that they made if it goes left like that. But he hung in there, and he did have some moments. Oddly enough, Oubre throwing uh, amazing lobs to him was something that I, I did not expect. But um, I thought he was a little bit better defensively than we've seen from him offensively it works well when he goes quick I think when he's deliberate not working so well swing factor is some of those shots go in and out but I thought it was an okay game from him you know I I didn't think it was bad necessarily and it seemed to be the kind of game where he was probably learning and there was some necessary growing pains Wiseman Looney is a good center combination it works it works for them they've been in and out of lineup both those two but that's a, it's a, those two are different and in, in, in are good in separate ways and bad in separate ways. And it works just go one and the other, one and the other. And then sometimes you finish house with, with Draymond. It just works for this season. He's played only 630 minutes. That's 17th among rookies. Anthony Edwards has played 1,296 minutes, basically 1,300 minutes. So Anthony Edwards has played two times the amount of NBA basketball to this point even more than two times the amount of NBA basketball. That matters. Anthony Edwards has shown some, I would say, I mean, I would have to cut it into subsections, but if we're talking about 1,300 Anthony Edwards minutes, I would say Anthony Edwards' last like 400 have been a lot better than his first, you know, 900. And that's usually how it goes. You know, and I can name all these different rookies that have played. Isaac Okoro, Jason Tate, obviously LaMelo Ball, Louis is about to not play some. Patrick Williams, Halliburton, Theo Maladon, like, they're just going to have to play him through these struggles. And, you know, Ethan's talking about them having to stomach it. Like, 
Okay. I mean, let's say they go, wow, they can't do that. It's got to be Kavon Looney. Okay, they win two extra games the rest of the season. It's more when you're getting shelled off the off the bat like you you were in that game where it's, okay, It's we can say that overall on balance. If we're guessing, if we're predicting, Kevon Looney might win you a couple extra games. But what if you're just getting shelled four games in a row like this? And in those four games in a row, you're down double digits in the first quarter and all of them and you get blown out. I mean, people get antsy with that kind of thing. Uh, that's effectively why uh, the change was made earlier in the season, right? So I guess it's maybe this is a true commitment to maybe we miss the playoffs and that's okay. Maybe we're not chasing wins to quote a controversial uh, statement. That was my first thought because it did not begin. It did not begin well. And to be clear, I'm all for him getting as many minutes as possible. And even if it would be good for us, the media, if the Warriors had a playoff run, I'm for being uh, not being penny wise pound foolish. I'm for prioritizing the long view. You, you got to defend view. your guy, Kavon Looney. When all of a sudden, what, did he go, did he get some extra life in his legs the last few games? My goodness, my goodness. I, I just don't overreact. I'm I'm not so <laughs> biased against the great Kavon Looney that a couple of games are going to dissuade me from his quality as a player. So he has been more aggressive offensively. I feel like I needed. I feel like I need to give thirty seconds to Kavon Looney saying he's been playing better lately i think he went five of six in the memphis win including kind of a wild circuit shot that was kind of impressive big dribble handoff yeah. spin and convert i mean like high he school wasn't doing any of he had a couple days. threes he's hit a couple threes he's playing with a bit more juice out there and i should acknowledge that because i certainly acknowledged after that lakers game when he hadn't made a shot in like four games and was getting stoned at the rim by dennis schroeder so he has uh he's he's been he's been solid like they actually missed him in that second game when he had the false positive test and started uh alan smiley they're not giving him away for nothing they are not i mean i would have said that even when it was bad because they let they love him so much i definitely not now after two good games who are they playing at center? They're not playing Smilagich. So then, well, then they, tried. You, they did try. <laughs> and yeah. then they stopped trying because uh, all he did was foul people. And, you know, they, they need centers. They, they You just need those minutes out there. Draymond does not want to play Valanchunas and, you know, and Jokic and all those big dudes out there. He doesn't want to play 30 minutes of that. And it would wear him down if he did. It, it's just, you know, it's just not the way you should do this with him at this point. So... They're going to keep Looney. They're, they're going to keep Looney just because that's their guy and it isn't a crushing salary next season. You know, they might turn around and do it and make me look stupid, but I'm going to say, right, they're not, they're not trading Kavon Looney unless they're getting value back. And guess what? In this league, you're not getting value back for Kavon Looney. It's like when people are saying to me, hey, trade Pascal and this for get this. Like, I don't want to be mean here, but Eric Pascal has almost no value in the league. He has almost no value. He has value as a throw-in. Someone yeah, okay, I mean, a team yeah, will go yeah, like, ah, oh, yeah. sweeten this a little bit. We'll take Eric Pascal on a exactly. low salary. Exactly. Low salary, whatever. But it is not, this is not something that's going to get you something in on Bradley Beal. <laughs> that's not happening. With Pascal, if he was a 35% three-point shooter, it's a totally different, totally different universe for him. But just like so many players... That, that shot, that outside shot, that's just the big swing factor on whether you make it or not. I mean, <laughs> Smiley might need a few more swing factors to go in his favor in addition <laughs> to it. But that swing factor is really tough. That he went in there, small sample size, but wide open, practice shot three, can't hit it. 
whew, we might not see him, I don't know, like ever again. Uh, so it's just a big, it's a big deal. Why is Juan Toscano Anderson not playing now? And why did he play early? He was he hit he was hitting threes early, and he's I don't think he's hit one. And I don't, I can't even name it. But yeah, that it's a huge tilt. It's a huge tilt. People say this over who? I mean, last night Damian exactly. Lee had his minutes basically. Damian Lee was awesome last night. So um, I don't know who he's playing over. JTA's kind of he's just their breaking case of emergency in every single position and if he's hitting threes you can play him like he's if he's going to hit you one three a game you can play him because he does other stuff if he's going to hit zero threes and not be defended he doesn't do enough other stuff to make sure he can get some minutes out there that's why he's not playing that's why you need other people out there and there's other you know brad wanamaker would be another like there's just the three is just a huge thing if you're not doing a lot of other things if you if you can't beat your man off the dribble, if you're not defending multiple positions, if you're not like really smart with a, with a pad, with a vision, although JTA is pretty good at that, you, you got to hit the three. You got to hit the three, and if you don't hit the three, you're coming out of the lineup. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, I had two other topics I wanted to get to. Quickly, number one, Steph, is, you know, this this tailbone injury, which is a, kind of a freak accident with the spaced out bench. He backs into it, you know, falls on. That's going to end up making him miss at least six games. Way to help him out, Houston Houston bench, by the way. They just let him, I guess maybe you're not supposed to touch players, but he just let, they just let him just back into that. It was a little weird. They didn't even look to try to help him. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it was still kind of a defensive possession and a scramble. You know, I don't, I, that's, that's tough in the moment sometimes especially with the game going on in front of you you know this has people going or you know is this basically going to be a tank situation are they about to fall way out of the playoffs and i think people saying that aren't really looking at what the standings look like particularly knowing that 10 is now in the play-in you know seven through 10 is playing not that the warriors should be you know really pumped about getting nine or ten but the reality is if you look at the west all you got to do is find five teams you think they're going to stay over minnesota yes Houston, yes. Sacramento, yes. The Tanking Thunder, yes. The currently 19 and 24 Pelicans, I would say yes. I mean, the Warriors are 22 and 22 at this point. Memphis is currently in the 10. They're 20 and 20. We watch Memphis against the Warriors. Them without Jaron Jackson is not, yeah, it's not, it's not a nice combination there. What I think is disappearing is the climb that they were hoping to have. You know, Mavericks are playing really well lately and have a soft schedule. The Spurs are sitting there at 22 and 18. I can still see them kind of tumble just because I haven't really been a Spurs believer all season. So maybe that's a team they could climb past. If you get Steph back quick, the Warriors do have a pretty soft schedule the rest of the season. My point is, I don't see that. I actually don't see them falling out of the play. And now I just am getting more pessimistic that they can avoid the play-in and get up to six that just doesn't seem like it's going to happen how do we feel about this whole play-in situation by the way i i think I like it's, it i like it i'm not so in favor maybe i'm a traditionalist <laughs> it just seems like if you're if you're not better than half the teams you shouldn't have a playoff consideration and it, it, it's got some benefits i mentioned it i wrote about it that 
you make the regular season more meaningful to more teams. So that's an upside to it. But the more I just think about it, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Like so many playoff teams, like why even have a season at that point? I kind of like it. Well, because I, I think some of those seven, eight teams in the West has had some strong ones, but sometimes they're not so great, especially this season. It's like, do they really deserve that much more than nine and 10? I, I don't know. I kind of like, like, let's make them learn it. Let's, let's like win it to get, get, get yourself really into these playoffs. I don't mind it. Extra games. It's not going to decide the championship. Elimination games are fun. I remember, do you guys remember watching the play-in last year? The East didn't have one because nobody was within the range, but the Grizzlies were actually the eight seed and the Blazers were the nine in the bubble, and they played an eight-nine good, yeah, I think it was like a Saturday-Sunday afternoon game, and winner got the Lakers, and I think the Grizzlies were going to have to beat Portland twice, but or so maybe Portland was the eight. It was good, fun basketball, and, and typically the better team is going to arise from that and i'm cool with it because really at the end of the day you're all battling to get seven or eight where you're going to get beat up in the first round anyways i like it especially in in a, in a pandemic where we're not sure about these teams anyway and everybody's coming ups and downs just play it off just have those four teams play it off you know it is the new interesting twist though in the west is with lebron having a high ankle sprain davis still out for a while there's a chance that the lakers tumble down to seven so that it's not out of the question to see a lakers warriors <laughs> that would be, like playing that would be amazing if ad and lebron are not 100 percent, even in that situation that would be a fun ball game there that would be a fun ball game so uh we'll, we'll see but uh i kind of like it i like the intrigue of it i want to see it play out again but I, I just don't think eight seven and eight are so sacred and I know I'm not saying anyone's saying they are, but I, I just don't see like, oh my God, seven and eight. That's just the legendary seven and eight. Eh, make them play it in. I have no problem. Let's make Lincoln play it in and, and, and move on from there. I got, I got no issues with that. Do you have another topic, Slater? I think you might have another topic here. Yes, yes. Uh, the drama <laughs> of the week was Steve Kerr going on a Ringer podcast with old friend Logan Murdoch and... Everybody probably knows the details of the story. He just was basically talking about how rough that final, the fifth season of the dynasty was compared to the 15 and 50 season that we all experienced last season. And then that gets turned into a tweet by Drew Schiller of NBC that Kevin Durant even responds to that Steve Kerr came out and loudly thought was not put in the proper context. And Steve Kerr has one of his most interesting press conference moments. I mean, like that was as probably as mad as we've seen him in a presser. You guys can take it wherever you want, but what did you think about all that? Well, I mean, I'll just say Kerr has said some of these things before, right? I mean, this is not new. Maybe we've reported around it. I think somebody might have written a book very similar with these themes huh. in it. But having lived through it, it's just like, of course, what are you talking about? Like maybe that, again, it's much more interesting from afar than it is up close when we were through it. We can go in as many different ways, but I'll just I'll go on something and everyone will predict that this is what I'm going to take out of it. Aggregation for titillation is bad journalism. And I know Drew. Drew's, I would say, he's not a friend of mine, but acquaintance of mine. This is bad for journalism. It exaggerates things just to try to get someone to read something that you did not originate in the first place. You're grabbing somebody else's work, somebody else's words, and you're trying to make it as sexy as possible in a way that gets a attention for yourself. That's bad for journalism. I don't think this was 
a terrible worst case scenario of it. There's far worse examples. And Bleacher Report, I'll say it, does it worse than anybody. But this happens. It happens on the Warriors a lot. This is why we joke about it on this show and others about being aggregated for some random comment that we make. And it's bad for context. It's bad for understanding things. It's bad for just reality. Uh, Warriors are in this cartoon world. We all get it. We've made money off of it. This is the way this goes. It's a very interesting team that people are very interested in. But to do stuff like Drew did, and again, this is not the most egregious version, but this is the one he got called out on. I don't mind Kerr going off on it because Drew was putting his own thoughts into something that now is put out as Steve Kerr is saying this. It was Kevin Durant's last season that did it. That hurts all of us in this business, and it hurts readers too. I mean, readers don't think so, but it does because you get things skewed toward what the aggregator, not even the person who asked the question, what the aggregator thinks is interesting, and that skews reality. And and I've got almost as much a problem with it as Steve Kerr does. I look at it as a problem, but nobody in particular is at fault. It's almost a tragedy of the commons and one of scale, where what we want to do, we want to do this podcast, and we want to do it as honestly as we can do it, as entertaining as we can do it, to entertain you, the listener. And if everything we say is going to be extracted from it and then blown up, then suddenly we have to start watching what we say. We have to, uh, in some ways, dilute the product that we want to give to the customer. And I'm not blaming anybody for that. I'm not saying that, uh, oh, poor us, we have it so tough. It's just the reality. I don't even blame Drew for it. And in this instance, I don't even think he did anything all that wrong. I think he's wrong in technicality, but not according to the spirit. He's wrong according to the letter, but not according to the spirit, because we all know what Steve was talking about on that podcast and he was talking about it. Now, he quite intentionally did not bring up Kevin because he didn't want this to happen. And so what we have here is just this irony sandwich of... I don't even know what to call it. It's this weird thing of, hey, guy, I didn't bring up Kevin's name when I was talking about Kevin for a reason. Can you kindly not mention Kevin when aggregating me and have this become a national news story? That's what I think was happening. I don't think it was because Drew was incorrectly representing Kerr's words. I think it's because he was correctly representing Kerr's words when Kerr was doing it in such a way that he didn't want it to be a big national story. That's my diagnosis. You can tell me I'm wrong, but that was my read on the situation. I don't disagree with you, Ethan. It's cynical and it's usually cynical is right. But I do think Kerr was trying to say it's the five-year thing. It was that that the Durant thing came at the end of the five-year thing. That they had gone through so many different things with Draymond. They had gone through Steph's injuries through the years. They had gone through all the changes in the roster. They had gone through Joe wanting to win every year. They had gone through all these things, players getting hurt, players getting older. That was the accumulation of it, and Durant happened to be in the fifth year, and a lot of things happened around that. But other things happened that season, too. That's what he was trying to say. Then there is a, yes, the rant thing was, was a huge part of that, but there are tons of other things. And what pisses him off, and I'll just say it has pissed me off, when someone grabs something I say and just puts their own thing, this is what he really meant. Uh, no, I was trying to be you know as general as possible here, and you made it about this. However much I applaud cynicism and, and read-throughs, I will just say you know, in a tweet, 
you got to be better. You got to be better at it than that. You have to try to be as expansive as you can. It's a tweet. I know it's 140 characters, but I get what Kerr was doing. I don't like it when it happens to me, and I've seen it with other players, and it's, frankly, it's happened with other Drew Schiller moments. So, again, this sounds like I'm banging Drew. I hope I'm not. This is his job. I will probably blame his bosses 100% more than anybody. I'll blame the entire aggregation industry, which I cannot stand. But I do think Kerr has a reason to argue. Like He was trying to make a broader point that included, in a maybe less than subtle way, the Durant thing. Did not want to just say, you know, hey, we're, we're all great. This show's fantastic. I just can't stand Slater. Well, I didn't, I'm not saying that. And, you know, it just... Well, like, it'd be, or it's things, Slater's you know, last podcast, you know. It's Slater's <laughs> last podcast. When I was making general comments about how tiresome the podcast had gotten. <laughs> it's bad for journalism to decide that I know what the person was talking about and I'm going to put it in there and the world's going to see it that way. There's a responsibility that some of us should feel and the way media is going, it clearly many do not. And I'm, I'm, I don't think, I think that day is gone. I, I'm not saying it's going to end. I think it's fair to take a moment to point it out. And, and I appreciate that Kerr did. He's going to get mocked for it even more. I could get mocked for it. We could all get mocked for it. If there's any sense that, okay, the next 100 times people in the Warriors aren't going to do this, but then the 101st, they're going to go right back to it. At least for those 100 times, it's not going to happen. And I'm a lot better for it. And you know what? And Kevin Durant can feel whatever way he wants to do it. I mean, you know, we all know that all of us have gone back and forth with Kevin on this stuff. He's fair to be pissed off about it or fair to be pissed off that it got aggravated or whatever. Did you see he liked a tweet of, of the parade comment? Somebody like retweeted the, uh, <laughs> the Steve and Bob, and he liked it. Yes, Kevin has a right to feel that way. I do think the reason why you saw the the loud public response was because Kevin responded yes, to it. Yes, I think yes. that what Colin Cowherd said, talking about like you know they're maybe they're still kind of walking on eggshells around Kevin Durant, even though he's now two seasons removed, is true because the reality is, and I know this from being on the inside of it, they were very critical of the Thunder's response to Kevin Durant. And when they went back, and and I don't even just mean like the Thunder organizationally, like Oklahoma City in general, that fan base, and they saw how much that hurt Kevin. And, and even in the years after that, you know, you got year two, Kevin, year three, Kevin, people around there would be like, we would, you know, we'll never respond that way. We will retire his jersey. We'll always appreciate him. They announced it like a day after he left. Or he's retired his jersey. Retire his jersey. They have so much tried to portray to the outside that they are, everything is awesome with Kevin. Even though, yes, we all know that, that sour feelings on the way out the door in many instances, but that is why they loudly responded to it. I think Kerr put himself in hot water by going on the podcast. I think he's doing it in a 22-21 and 21 season when his fan base is questioning him. Particularly, we're talking about like the loud, active online version. So, I mean, to me... I'm not going to criticize Steve for going on a podcast because if he wants to come on this podcast and talk for 15 minutes freely, we would all say, yeah, sure, please. I mean, that's our job. But he did put himself in that situation, we must also say. And then the one thing I wanted to say about the two That's why seasons, he makes a big money. That's why he makes, as he would say, that's why yes. he makes a big money. Yeah, and he can handle it. But the one thing I do want to say about the difference of the two seasons, I covered 
Durant's final two in Oklahoma City. I covered the transition. I covered the three Warriors finals runs with KD, just like you guys did. And, you know, I was there through the Toronto series, which was just like jaw droppingly dramatic, which ends obviously in the Achilles tear that had the whole Durant, you know, will he, won't he lead up, which had, uh, you know, the clay injury, which has the loss. And that was like, I felt like I had done like. 12 years in NBA journalism after those five <laughs> that I covered or six, I should say I did the last three of Durant and I covered the 15 and 50 season. I was at every game of, I was on the road with that team. They were the worst team in basketball. And I was used to covering just awesome West finals teams, NBA championship teams, historic teams. I enjoyed the 15 and 50 season. The environment around the team was so loose and there was so much less media around and, and the stakes of the regular season games were just, they were meaningless. And like, to be honest with you, after covering what I covered for five years, that was kind of a nice reprieve. It felt like a little bit of a vacation year. And I think everyone around there felt that night. And Steve shouldn't say that to the fan base, particularly at this time. Like, I understand that criticism of him and a coach saying that while you look around the league and any coach would have died to be in his situation. So for him to say that does look like he's coming from a privileged standpoint. But the reality is if you were around that team, it was relaxing last year. And that was a season that everyone who had been around previously needed to relax and it was it was beneficial for a lot of people but fans don't want to hear that understandably and they want the games to be better they want their routine when they turn on nbc bay area uh, to provide them with way more entertainment and so it's true what Steve said. I think that was the other aspect of this, where there's an element of wanting to take the quote back or not have the quote blown up. It is honest. It is true. It is very much dependent on the context of Steve Kerr, that he has money, that he can go back to being a broadcaster, that he's won championships, but no other coach, pretty much no other coach, maybe you could say Popovich would say something like that after a last place season. So it is a little taboo to say it, even though it's true to what you're saying. And it's also true that winning can be miserable. Um, I remember Gary Shandling and Gary Shandling and Jerry Seinfeld uh, were interviewing each other because they both had these successful shows. And they said, yeah, we had to kill the show or the show would kill us. And you get that sense from the Bulls in the last dance and you get that sense from the end of the Warriors. But the joy doesn't dissipate for the fan. So it's just a bit of an emotional disconnect. Just to kind of tie, tie on that, I would tell people last year, you know, I would see people in cities and they're like, you know, wow, like, what's this season like for you? And I'd just be like, honestly, it's after what I've covered, it's everything before tip off is super enjoyable. That includes my off days are now a lot freer. I can maybe go do something with my wife. There's definitely not five, you know, bits of news big breaking news around the team. The pregame isn't just flooded with attention and, and drama and everything. And But then I would say once tip-off goes and the, you have to watch those two and a half hours, it's bad. But And the reality is the fans have it the opposite. They're living their own lives that are, have their own different stresses, but then they want the game product to be very good. And that's what they were missing last year. And it's like work was just freer for everyone around the, that team last year. I don't think fans are that mad about this, by the way. This is this is more Kerr and, and Drew Schiller and Durant. But I just like Ethan mentioned Phil Jackson. I covered Phil Jackson with the Lakers. This is right after the team was having multiple nervous breakdowns with Kobe and Shaq not winning a championship. And what are they going to do? And there's pressure everywhere. And Jerry West was freaking out, literally walked away from the team at, you know, at the end of the first championship with Phil. All these anxieties, all these neuroses. And Phil just went, 
I don't care. Let's just win. Who cares? I, I don't care. Like, you know, and he said some stuff that you cannot say now. I'm not going to repeat, like, on the record stuff. He just didn't care. And Steve's not like that, but he's, you know, Phil's one of his guys. And I think you need some of that in a high pressure situation. You need somebody who's, you know, Phil hates the, the Zen stuff. I mean, I'm just tagging with that. But you need some of that. Eh, you know what? This season is, eh, next season will be good. Nick Nurse doesn't say that, right? You know, uh, Quinn Snyder doesn't stay, say that. I get it. But in these situations, that sort of thing, the Phil Jackson calm, the context, the big picture, fans don't want to hear it. They're living through it every day. But I think the superstars get it. The superstars connect. Michael Jordan connected with that. Steph Curry connects with it. You know, I, I've said this before. Fans are so upset about burning a year, wasting a year of Steph Curry's prime, yet Steph Curry is not upset about it because he sees what's possible next season. Now, they screw up next season. It's a whole different thing. But that kind of big picture mentality is hard if you're living day to day. If you think you're gonna, looking over your shoulder from the owner demanding this and you might get fired if you lose there. Kurt has never had that. He hasn't had that since he walked in. And I think that is a calming situation. This is part of it. Maybe the fans don't love all of it. I get it. But you can't just be like playing to the neurosis of every day. If you've got superstars, you can win multiple championships. This is how you get through the long term. This is how you get to five straight finals. That's it. That's the end of my spiel here. But uh, having covered Jackson and Kerr, I think there is some connectivity there that does upset fans. And so what? That's how you have longevity through a lot of this. Well, urgency is coming. Urgency around Kerr, urgency around this franchise is coming. Like next season is absolutely vital. And, you know, did they in some ways, I mean, I don't even want to say it like this, but like Clay Thompson getting injured did give them a bit of a excuse this season. They have roster building pressure at this deadline in the next 36 hours. And then really this summer, I think three straight disappointing seasons. And I would categorize this season overall with no clay. Like it's, I wouldn't consider it an extreme disappointment, but I do think because of how it's played out, it adds a, a heavy level of pressure heading into next season. No, they can't screw it, but you, you can't screw up a season if you have a full roster. But let's well, they have suffer a major injury next season. You know, who knows? So you, you never know. But yeah, I think next season is is just if it's a full roster season, they can't blow it. I don't think they will. I don't think they will. Yeah, and I definitely do think there are reasons to to criticize Steve for parts of the season. I don't think Wiseman's necessarily been handled that well. I do think they've had some late game blunders. I do think they've. If they had been sharper in different situations, they probably would have four or five more wins and they would be in a better position. I think sometimes this public messaging to fans has not been terrific. I mean, you've mentioned the chasing wins comment, but at the end of the day, to me, everything's building to next season, which is fine, which is going to be fun, by the way. Like opening night, that first month, particularly if fans are back in Chase Center, which I cannot wait to feel, next season, it's going to be a pressure cooker, which is good. And I'm excited for it. I think the players were like that. I think we all like that. I thought this season might be like that. Then Clay got hurt, and, and you're right. It did turn down. And there were no it, fans, and we were in the middle no of fans, the pandemic. Yeah. And it hasn't been and awesome. we'll see. And we'll see what the rest of the season is like, too. Like, you know, if they get into the seventh seed and, you know, play a decent – you know, get through the play-in and, and play a decent first round against the two, you know, I think there's going to be a different feeling about this season. So, so we'll see. And if they tank it out – and there will be a very interesting mood going in the offseason. There's still a lot of games left to play. Okay. We will talk to you maybe after one of the games this week. Definitely next week. 
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.